Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst from Faster Skier. We are back to recap a Norwegian sweep of the 15-kilometer individual start men's race here at World Championships in Planitza. We go through American and Canadian results, and we have a special guest, a journalist for the Swedish newspaper Expressen, who talks with us a whole bunch about his country's stunning successes on the women's side and its hopes for an up-and-coming men's squad and a whole bunch of other stuff related to World Cup ski racing. So stick with us. We'll be right back. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Boulder Nordic Sport is the industry-leading resource for cross-country ski equipment, waxing, stone grinding, and hand-selected skis. Whether you're looking to tour the local park, finish your 15th Berkey in style, or aiming for the next Olympic team, Boulder Nordic Sport's passionate staff can help you find the perfect gear for your skiing experience. Visit bouldernordic.com to shop one of the biggest selections of ski gear in the country, download a digital copy of the annual BNS magazine, or sign up for one of our professional race wax services for world masters and other key races. You can also find extensive waxing instruction on the BNS YouTube channel. Thanks for taking the time for such a uh, frivolous, frivolous, and yeah, well, for this project, we appreciate it. It gives us a little bit of a we're leaning on your expertise, so we appreciate you joining us. It's an honor. Can I do this introduction? Please do, Nat. I want to do this introduction because I, I already coined this phrase that uh, we are delighted to welcome Thomas Pedersen, a uh, uh basically i i'm describing him as the jesse diggins of uh scandinavian ski journalism uh he is a a reporter and columnist <laughs> for uh expressin uh which i'm not really sure maybe uh maybe thomas could give us actually a little bit better of a sense of like you know on the spectrum of like new york post to new york times like where where his publication lies i also was poking around a little bit and i learned that uh you guys have a logo that's like a a wasp so maybe you could also tell us a little bit more about this but um i'm getting a little far afield thomas uh is a guy you know i've been kind of periodically or sporadically following the cross-country ski circuit for uh, 13 years now and i remember seeing thomas uh since the very beginning in 2010 and I think he's been around for a little longer than that. I think probably Devin, maybe he made you answer some uh, uncomfortable questions back in the day, but his uh, his journalism for Express and his coverage of the Swedish and uh, Norwegian team and just general things in the uh, cross-country ski world is like a, a must read. So um, yeah, really great to, to have him on. I think it's a, a really fortuitous time to hear from him just because of all of the... Um, interesting things and great successes that the Swedish team has been uh, having over over the past couple of years. So yeah, um, we we appreciate it. And I'm sure Devin has any number of, of questions for you. I don't know if we should start there or start maybe by talking about today's race. It's really up to you guys. There's no boss. Well, no, that's true. There is no boss. And as Thomas will quickly understand, there is no organization to what we do here. But that said, I do have a couple questions that I have that I, that I have been just jonesing to ask you, Thomas. But but before we do that, it'd be great to hear from you and answer some of the questions Nat asked about in the introduction. Like, how many years have you been covering cross-country skiing? I was a professional skier for 16 years, and your face 
is very familiar and your questions are also familiar. I remember you asking me some questions and I did some questionable actions out on the course. One that comes to mind is sitting second in the overall tour de ski, making a stupid move, cutting off Marcus Hellner in Prague, taking both of our chances out. And then <laughs> Thomas wrote a wonderful article in which my e inbox blew up with NHL metaphors about body checking and how Canadians are goons in hockey and also now in cross-country skiing. So that that's one that really comes to mind. But before that, it would be great to hear to hear um, your perspective and you have been following the sport for a long time, but w when did you get into following cross-country skiing professionally um, for the Swedish media? Well, uh, thanks. First of all, it's an honor to be with you guys. It's been a while. Uh, uh, but about my background, expressed in the newspaper that I'm on now for uh, about 17 years, I've been covering world championships since then. Before that, I worked on TV and uh, but not uh, every week, every year, and so on. So it's the last 17 years of almost every World Cup race, all, every championships. And uh, following the um, sometimes back in the days, the good Canadian team, uh, not so good anymore. It was good old days. I remember you and Alex Torvey. It was uh, yeah, my favorite guys out there. Uh, always friendly, good skiers, uh, extremely nice to talk to. I remember sitting in your trailer in uh, Valle, the last climb up for the Charmis. Marcus Allen was in the top, and uh, I'm gonna go out there and help Marcus. I'm gonna help him to the to take over, and you did like that, and he uh, finished second that year. Uh, big thanks, to a good memory. So that's the story, and uh, the newspaper. It's newspaper. It's more like New York Post and New York Times, I guess. But uh, we have a focus on cross-country skiing uh, it's the sports that uh, uh, for us it's bigger than football hockey and everything we got the most country uh, a lot of norwegian readers follow us express and so we have a lot of resources to cover the cross-country and it's really really fun yeah, how many how many journalists do you guys uh, have here in Planitza? Uh, this year we're actually only three. We used to be three right now, but uh, it's three really good ones. It's uh, a team of Scandinavian ski journalists, uh, so we we only need three. Uh, we're good. I was, uh, I'm going to jump right into it. And I, I have some more general questions before we break down the race today. And of course, I would love to hear your perspective. But, but um, one big question I have is, is Sweden has been very strong in a lot of different winter sports over the years. I mean, I'm a Canadian. So of course, like Swedish hockey greats jump to mind. And I know anytime I'm in Sweden and seeing newspapers or watching the Swedish news, hockey looms large. The biathlon team has really come on strong, both the women and the men, especially in the last five, six years. Although even before that with Bjorn Ferry and uh, Carl Johan Bergman and stuff. So they have had world championships for world champions for a while, but right now it's really at a 
high high level with uh, the Olbergs and then and then of course Samuelsson and the men's squad as well. The Swedish women's team in cross country skiing is no question the best team in the world right now and has ha- has been especially in sprint but also in distance for a number of years aside from Teresa Johag of course that was dominant for in distance the last few years. But I'm going to come out swinging because I've been quoted, of course, as I've been disappointed with the men's <laughs> side of things in cross-country skiing. And thank God for Porma, the 23-year-old at 22, going to turn 23, that is, has back-to-back fifth places at the World Championships, which is fantastic. But I think it's the first time in 90 years that Sweden hasn't had multiple medal threats in every single distance race from the men's side. And... Not to go too deep into that right out of the gun, but I am curious, how has that affected the, the interest in cross-country skiing in Sweden from your perspective, from a journalist's perspective? Has it affected it at all? Or because the women are so good and with Frida Carlson being such a young superstar that just keeps delivering at these championships, it, it doesn't really matter that the men are, are not skiing so well. Uh, no, uh, not really. I would say that uh, keeps getting bigger for every year. I mean, we look. We I work at the newspaper. Every article we wrote, we write, and the numbers have never ever been so. This World Championships, and it's been going on like that since I would say on the Tour de Ski at two thousand eight. Uh, after that, this has been rising for every year, and uh, thanks to mostly the uh, it just keeps going. And we have had a, a bad man, but uh, that doesn't have, has any impact on uh, on the interest on being. Uh, but now we're really pleased with, as you say, William Porama near. Uh, I think it's going to be real good too. Given a couple of years, it's going to be it's going to be up all of us. It's his first year. So this this uh, world championship is special because medal even in the men's race, every men's race. If we're a bit optimistic, new situation. It's been a couple of years. It's been. Uh, Pretty boring. We just been waiting for get on, uh, but now um, it's. Uh, I mean, the relay for is coming up here. It's going to be fun. I think we're going to take a medal and will be the first practice for a Swedish men's team if they make it. So we're at a good position now. It's a better position now and in many showing some uh, top qualities and of course we hope that Karla Halvarsson will get his medal uh, maybe the 50k international championship it's going to be very tough for him to get a medal there but my fingers and hope he will make it what do you think happened between like the era of like Johan Olsen and Sodergren and those guys uh, to where we are now with like kind of a five-year gap of anyone of consequence in, on the Swedish men's team? Uh, well, I think I think the story is uh, quite similar to what we see in uh, Norwegian uh, ladies. Uh, and we, we had a team 
and you could say they blocked out all the youngsters for a lot of years from competing in the World Cup. Uh, I mean, uh, Johan Olsson, Daniel Rickardsson, uh, Marcus Hennar and all these guys, they, they went on for a long, long time. And it was a very, very few younger skiers who got a chance to compete in the, in the World Cup uh, because uh, we had the best ones in there already. And at the same time, uh, I, didn't, I don't think the Swedish Ski Federation noticed the problem. They were so satisfied with the medals who kept coming in from these uh, older guys. And when they realized it, it was only, it was only Kalle Halvarsson who was in uh, the right uh, age to, to take the step forward. But uh, Kalle wasn't that good to, to, I mean, to deliver the medals we, we get, got used to. So there was a gap. And, uh, it's it's almost it's like seven eight years of since fallen really uh, maybe last is the last uh, championship when we were really good at LA, quite good at men's since it's been a it's been some uh, boring years uh, and that's why it's so fun now to see it's not just Edwin Anger I don't know if you have heard of the young, young Alvar Mühlbakt, the 16-year-old, uh, who's, uh, I mean, I've never seen anything like that in that age in Swedish cross-country skiing. Uh, if he keeps going on like this, I mean, go and hide Johannes Kleb or Simon Hegstad Krieger and all of you, because that 16-year-old guy, he, I mean, he's just phenomenal. Uh, so... There's things happening in uh, the men's cross-country skiing in Sweden now, which is very, very interesting. Yeah, but who's the coach? Oh, sorry. Uh, not, sorry, can I jump in first, Matt? Because like, like yeah. Bearback is a super interesting case, and I'm glad you, you brought him up, Thomas, because I've been following him too, and I can't believe, especially watching Brooksville on now, like the level <laughs> that he was skiing at at his age. But And now I'm going to just get even more hate mails flooding into my inbox. But... This idea that you're picking, that you're picking like ski classics mm-hmm. at 16 years old. First of all, why are we picking ski classic? I, I understand why you pick Vasilopet or or um, Birkebeiner or Marshalonga, but like some nothing like La Diagonella, like nobody cares, man. I don't care. Like the world of skiing doesn't care. And I'm just shocked that he was prioritizing some ski classics at his age instead of going to world juniors and continuing that development path. So the traditionalist in me really, really hopes that we don't lose Amir Bak on international skiing to watching him double pull through some Swedish swamps or over a Norwegian <laughs> fake mountain, because that that's not what we need in international skiing. I mean, at least in my perspective. And I just <laughs> want to interject that Devin is talking about when he's talking about ski classics, like this 16 year old dude is like racing the Vassalopit and other like marathon races, which was going to be my same question. So I just want to make sure people understood. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised when I will make the choice to, to don't go to the junior, junior world championship. And uh uh, he's a special guy, and he really likes to be in uh, the community with older skiers. He loves uh, uh, the practicing and the competing with his uh, ski classic team. I think it's much more fun than going without with a 
universe or uh, at this uh, is what go in this uh, what do you call it ski gymnasium in Torsby. Uh, but uh, he feels that when he's out with a logger 157 team uh, and practice with them and competes with them it makes him a better skier but i'm i'm totally sure that uh, he will uh, compete in the next junior world championship we will see him in the world cup uh, but right now he thinks this is the most fun thing to do and the thing that's making him a better skier so uh, he's he's going to continue go his own way and i love that uh, i love the guys like uh, i always like Petanur, for example, this guy who, who dares to take the step no one else does. And Alvaro is uh, one of these guys. Uh, so I think it's going to be great. Uh, but as Devon says, I really don't think uh, you should go too many ski classics because uh, I don't care about that, <laughs> really. So I hope we see Alvaro in the World Cup uh, next year. Uh, and then you will see something you've never seen before. Well, like, is it even healthy or safe for a 16-year-old to be, like, racing 90 kilometers? Like, either of you guys weigh in here. I can start. I, I, I can start. Like, what I think is crazy is, and, and this has been really interesting when I was teammates with Alex Harvey, because there was a switch. There was a big switch from my generation to, like, Alex Harvey's generation. So he's born in 88, I'm born in 82. So that switch changed like quite dramatically. And at the tail end of Alex's career, he was getting so many questions like, why are you retiring? You're still quite good, you're young. And his answer was like, I've been a professional skier since I was 16 years old. Like, I don't think you understand this. Like Devin, you were running when you were in high school, you went to a normal high school and just like, you went to university for a bit, like I, took the choice to be a pro at 16 years old. And now I've been a pro for 16 years and that's my career. Like I feel full in a way. And um, these guys are better and women too, younger. And it's in it. Look at Frida Carlson. I mean, Frida Carlson was winning multiple individual medals in Seyfeld as a junior. And she stopped. Yeah. She fell the Norwegian sprint comet at that time. She fell in the final, and so she was finished in the top 10. But, but still, like, she, she was a junior mixing it up with the best sprinters in the world. And, and we're seeing that more and more. And, and you look at what's happening in cycling. Not Now we're going on a tangent. We'll come back to the races, people that are listening. I'm sorry. But with pro cycling is these pro cycling teams are now signing younger and younger and younger athletes to pro contracts. There's a Norwegian kid who goes to the sports gymnasium here in Norway. He was at World Juniors. Nordhagen, who's one of the best skaters as a junior, and he signed a yeah. pro contract already for Jumbo Visma. He's 17 years old. So, so I, I think it's the, the, the development of the sport. That said, I think it puts an immense pressure on programs and coaches and families to deliver some perspective to these young athletes that, of course, you want the world and you want it tomorrow, but um, be careful what you wish for. Because the fact of the matter is, I don't care how good you are, when you're 18, 17, 19, like these ages, you, you don't have the skill set to, to deliver full seasons on the World Cup and then the rigors of what that means. And maybe we'll see careers being a little shorter. But that said, Mirbach, Frida Carlson, Therese Johag, 
Playable too is a good example that have been really, really good young, but there's not that many names still in cross-country skiing. It's moving in that direction, but it's not so many. And that's why I think it's interesting to hear Thomas, your perspective, because this means it's even more special. And the fact that he's going his own way, training with uh, one of the best ski classics teams, uh, professional teams um, with Emil Pechon and stuff like it's, it's interesting. So it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's a fascinating story and I'm following along too. So it's really cool to hear your perspective on that. And I hope for Sweden that, that uh, he keeps improving, makes smart decisions and comes back to the world cup. Cause we need Sweden back in there making noise on the, on the world cup in the distance side. I hear you and I agree. Well, uh, should we segue into, uh, I mean, we don't have to, we don't have to dwell on a, I mean, you know, I think there were some interesting storylines in today's race for sure. Like it actually was, if you look beyond the, the top of the result sheet at Seaman Hegstad Kruger delivering a like epic beat down to the entire world, it was pretty exciting. Uh, if you, if you look a couple places down, but I don't know that we need to, you know, I'm, Looking, looking at my watch here, thinking about the various bread products that I need to eat for dinner. So I don't know. Well, I can, I'd like to, with Thomas here, I would like to hear his perspective and I can offer my perspective on the men's race. This is the yin and yang of men's distance racing for me, because like the way that Kruger is solving this course and the way he is skiing on the climbs and just his position and the power that he's putting in to to his strides with the body he has is phenomenal because Kruger is a small guy and he's keeping such a high position, low shoulders, and all the power is going in the right directions. And he can do that the entire 15 K. So the performance for Kruger was phenomenal. And again, we talked about it a couple of days ago, Matt, but like his record is insane. He has 10 world cup champion. He has 10 championship starts, Olympics or world cup or, or sorry, Olympics or world championships. He's been on the podium nine times. Now he's yeah. has two gold medals. Like he's the most understated athlete. Like it's crazy. He doesn't get more play than he does even here in Norway, but Amundsen, I think too, speaking of young guys, that's hard to break in. Uh, like Thomas was saying with the Swedish dynasty at the time, Amundsen is having a hell of a time breaking in and he was second in this race, 25 years old, five seconds back, the way he closed this race, I know Kruger fell apart a little bit. Didn't look like it technically, but on the results list, on the timing, he was falling apart a little bit, but Amundsen made this super exciting and, and the young Norwegian delivered a beautiful performance. Holland, the reigning world champion, sneaks in there for third. And then I wanted to ask Thomas what he thought about how Klebo was acting at the finish line. I know he's a killer. He's kind of like a Michael Jordan. You don't want to interview Michael Jordan after a basketball game if they lose the final. He, he's not going to be too happy. And, and Claybo was walking around like he was, he was bummed out and borderline unprofessional maybe at the end, but, but I understand he came to win medals in all events and he had a great performance, but it wasn't good enough. So uh, I don't know. What is your perspective on the top end of the race, Thomas? Well, if you talk about Claybo, uh, so he's uh, the clock is ticking a bit. I mean, I think it's really, really important for Johannes Hörsklebo to win a distance gold uh, at the championship. And uh, he didn't make it today. Uh, I don't think it's going to make it on Sunday at the 50K. And then it's two years to the next chance. So, I mean, he, he's the best. He's uh, absolutely the best. But uh, he doesn't uh, 
this wasn't what he was hoping for. And uh, you could see it on him today. He was really pissed afterwards. And he's feeling that it's slipping away another championship without a distance goal. So I think he's, uh, he's not uh, sleeping very good tonight. No. Uh, behind uh, the top three, uh, I must say that uh, we talked about William Poroma, but uh, the race he did today, extremely good for being William Poroma. Uh, as he said, if I should have won a medal today, it would have been a. Uh, we have something called Braget Guldet in Sweden. Uh, it's, it's the prize for the best uh, performer in sports in Sweden during a year. And he said, uh, if I had taken a medal, I should have the Braget Guldet today. I did my best. I did a really, really good race, but the Norwegians are so, so good, but I was close. And uh, so he was really pleased, uh, even if he didn't get the podium. So very good race from William. And it was uh, nice to see that they beat Schroeder to make it only four Norwegians in the top. And, and five, uh, five out of the top six, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but there was yeah, also that's... some interesting ones, Nat. Like, I think it, uh, I can't pronounce his name properly, and I, I apologize. Uh, I got it pulled up. Irinu Esteve Altamiras. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Altamiras, Altamiras is I can pronounce. And I think his seventh place and the way he he raced with an early bib, starting bib 30, and he's known for being quite good on, on, on the climbs and, and steeper and harder courses. And Planitza isn't all that challenging. I mean, this isn't home and column. This isn't um, some of the just insanely hard courses that we see on the world cup, um, especially for the 15 K course. And I, I thought he delivered a, a fantastic performance, but Edric Mach too in, in eighth place, uh, also same age as William Portoma, um, 22 going on 23 years old. So uh, to be eight, these are great performances. But again, the hard thing is, in the last few years, it's really been the battle of the titans, Russia versus Norway. And I can't help but think when I see these results, and for sure, Altamiras is great in seventh, but maybe not quite as great if he's 11th, if all the Russians are there. And, and Frederik Moch, same thing, like he's eight, but if all the Russians are there, maybe he's 12th. And then it's like, yeah, well, okay. But that said, this is speculation and you can't you can't like compete against guys that aren't on the start line. So they were beautiful performances for the day itself. But um, it is just interesting that, that people, Poroma, like you said, uh, Thomas, and, and that podium earlier in the season is proof of that. He is knocking on the door, thank God, because somebody has to. But they're skiing well. I mean, I get a lot of hate mail about like calling men's distance race boring. But um and instead of highlighting how good, and it's true, like it is true. If you want to look technically at how they solve these courses and how they're skiing, they are skiing at it, not only an insanely high level physiologically, like you said, Thomas, they're just good, but they're also beautiful skiers. And uh, for those that like cross-country skiing, I mean, who cares what suit or what country it, it is beautiful skate skiing. You, you can't deny that. I mean, I just would interject I, like I actually I feel like the race was really exciting to watch like I know we've complained about it and like the sport needs for it to not be like this like you know I don't know if any of our our dozen listeners might be down to like a half dozen today um, but I don't know that I can get tired of watching Johannes Kaibo lose you know it's like that's a great that's a great phenomenon and like 
he makes it a, a great a great story when he loses and so if if you can if you can get past the fact that it's you know four red suits at the top like there are good stories there but i think you know for cross-country skiing trying to appeal to a, a global audience like it's it's not good for Devin and i making making it big and uh you know becoming full-time uh employed cross-country ski columnists like uh like you have three of in in sweden just at one newspaper yeah uh, i think we all can agree that it is a bit boring and it, it is uh, so we have to like you say that uh, when Clavo is the Norwegian who loses, that's that's the thing of the day. <laughs> but he's he's still not uh, he's still there. Uh, so uh, as Devin was saying, we're praying for guys like William Poruma now. We really need him, and of course, it would be much more fun in, to watch these uh, races with the Russians here. I don't want them here, but if you look at it from just uh, that perspective, of course, it would be more thrilling, thrilling competitions with the Russian skiers here. And uh, I guess we're going to see them next year, uh, even if I don't want them there. But I guess that's what FIS is going to do. I was going to ask, can you can you tell us a little bit more about uh you feel like that is is solid intel that that I mean, are you just are you sort of speculating that fist will just follow the ioc and this is what the ioc will do or do you feel like there's more like direct action on the part of fists where they're gonna bring the russians back in yeah the fis is they are they are bleeding now financially because of match tv it's not here and it's uh what is one third of the viewers are gone from last year because of the Russians aren't broadcasting anymore. And I know they're, they're discussing it here in Planisha now and uh, saying we got to get them back. And uh, they have a, they have a Swede in the top, Jan Elias, who's uh, always been quite friendly to the Russian, uh, Russian governments. And uh, uh, they're going to follow the IOC uh, and uh, open the doors for Russia again. I'm ready to bet my house on it. I don't have a house, but it's a nice way of saying things. <laughs> <laughs> so all the signals are here. Everything points at that, that direction. They're gonna, the Russians are going to be there. If nothing, if I don't know what's going to stop it. Uh, they're going to be here whether or not the war in the Ukraine is over or not. And I hate that, but it's going to be like that money talks yeah i mean well civilians are going to be dying by the hundreds in ukraine but at least we'll have more interesting ski races to watch i guess um i, I will i will take this opportunity to uh pitch listeners on uh i uh i hired a translator went to the home of the uh Ukra or a couple of the ukrainian athletes here at uh world championships and interviewed them about what life has been like for the past uh year one of their training centers uh was blown up by russian missiles they lost like a month and a half of training so they've got some they've got some pretty compelling uh compelling stories to to tell but um yeah i think it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out because i mean thomas have you also been hearing someone i was talking to today was saying like if the russians come back that means like you know is ukraine gonna compete are there other nations that actually might uh protest if they're back here 
Yeah, that's very interesting. I know there was a lot of talk before the World Championships here. Uh, there were some moments when they thought the Russians even would be here uh, in Planitsa, that it's going to go that fast. That didn't ha happen, thank God. Uh, but uh, as a lot of the Swedish skiers were ready to not compete if the Russians were coming to Planitsa. And now, if uh, what's going to happen next season? I don't know. Uh, there are going to be a long, hard way and long, a lot of decisions to make. Uh, there's a lot of Swedish skiers, Norwegian skiers who's been uh, outspoken about what they think about the Russian. So I don't know how they're going to do it, really. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be... Uh, going to be a very, very strange uh, situation when Alexander Bolshunov stands there next to Johannes Hörsfrut Klebo next year, uh, Veronika Stepanova, uh, besides Lin Swan. Uh, I don't know how that's going to play out, but it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, it, it, uh, it feels like it is, it must be one of the, I, I just think about like the different, um, storylines that we have playing out in our major sports in in america and it's like uh what did steph curry eat for breakfast and uh 200 million dollar contract and like i feel like the stories that uh you get to cover covering cross-country skiing it's like it's really a, it's a global sport and these like you know relationships between nations and it's like uh, you're dealing with like uh, uh, national rivalries between Sweden and Norway. Like it, I guess there's probably a reason you've been doing this for 16, 17 years. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, a lot of American uh, sports, like uh, it's like a gated community in the world. I, I, the way I look at from, from Sweden anyway, I mean, it's very rare to hear it, to listen to an interview with a player in NHL who says something interesting whatsoever. Uh, the skiers that I'm covering is more like uh, normal people, and we talk politics. Uh, we talk uh, about war this year, and and uh, that's make it's, it's uh, another level than the professional uh, sports in the U.S. I think so. That's why I keep going on because it's uh, it's fun and it's interesting and it's learning. And before, like I, I, this has just been so fascinating to hear you guys' perspective on it. I think I think it is from my perspective, not that I'll weigh in all that much, but I, I think, yeah, the positives is what you're saying, Thomas, and that like when we've talked to that that you can get real stories and and great access from some phenomenal athletes. And of course, I'm heavily biased. But uh, as far as like some of the fittest people on earth, they're cross-country skiers, but they also are multifaceted compared to some of the canned answers you get from, from professional sports in, in, in uh, football or uh, like soccer, sorry, for the North American audience, and then NHL players and stuff like that. But at the same time, the danger is from the other side, what you mentioned earlier, Thomas, with, with that money talks. And when you're such a small sport, and there's not much money to go around. And then all of a sudden you start losing a big, a big piece of that money, uh, that big piece of that pie, then morals or ethics quickly be erode. 
And, and that's a bit scary. And the fact that it happens behind closed doors and we don't really know what's going on, then all of a sudden something's changed and, and the people that, that um, are competing, the athletes, but also all the support staff around aren't really brought in on that process is uh that's it that's that's a bit scary although that said look what's happened with fifa we just had the world cup in qatar i mean come on it's it's kind of the same but but regardless i feel like when it's such a tight-knit community it, it makes it that much harder to swallow when you have backdoor deals that come down from up high when everyone knows it's the money and then no one wants to say it <laughs> but but anyways coming back to the race though and then we got to let you guys go and i got to go back to studying but i just wanted to give a quick shout out to scott patterson in 15th he got a great ride from uh, hans christer holland so got a little lucky with that but he had to do his last lap alone and, and uh, 15th is a solid race gus schumacher the old world champion who has been struggling in his early years of senior really struggling great race by Gus today. And yeah, just wanted to say congrats to him. I know 19th isn't where he wants to be necessarily. He's the same age as Porama, beat Porama at World Juniors, same age as Mach, beat Mach at World Juniors. So he wants to be into the top 10, but this was a step in the right direction for the young American. And um, Olivier Levillier, he has been top 30 once this year, the Canadian. And without the ride he got from Gus, he would have been 40th probably or worse. So he benefited from a ride from a, a hard charging Gus Schumacher, but that's skiing and uh, fun to see him in the top 30, even though that is not where he wants to be. But um, you know what? You, you got to walk, you got to, you got to walk before you run. And um, it's been a hard season for, for the young Canadian. So kind of cool to see him in the top 30. And I got to give a shout out one more to another Canadian who races for Britain, Joe Davies, who is 30th. He's a year younger than Podoma. He's, uh, he's only 22 years old or turning 22 this year, I should say. And if you would have just known his story, and I've talked about it maybe like three or four weeks ago or whatever, but I am so impressed. He was ready to quit skiing and stop all this. And um, his improvement by being with the, with the British team, uh, Hans and Jostein the, and the crew there in, in Great Britain have really, really brought him up to like a crazy level compared to where he's come from only two, three years ago. So congratulations to Joe to be top 30. I know these aren't the stories that like Espresso writes about, but as a, as a Canadian that, that knows, knows that the road, the road to, to the top isn't a straight line all the time for some of these North American athletes. Um, so just wanted to point those out. And then one last question before Thomas, before we let him go, women's relay, were we surprised that Sundling got like left off the team? I mean, there's Dropped a, like a bad team. habit. I know. And I, I know that there's a lot of talk in Norway. It's like, this is the opening we need to win. Like, it's not the opening you need to win. Dahlqvist is insanely good too. And the Swedish team is the powerhouse and is going to walk all over this relay, just like the Norwegian men are going to walk all over this relay uh, the day after. But I, I was just one last thing in closing. I would love to hear your perspective on, uh, on Sundling not getting the nod to, to be on the Swedish women's team. Uh, well, it was a surprise, but not that big surprise. She, she didn't do well on the ten, uh, on the ten a couple of days ago, and uh, normally she would have been top ten there. Uh, she wasn't. She wasn't even close. So you felt already that okay, she's not one hundred percent, and uh, that's what she said yesterday to the coaches. Uh, I'm not really where I want to be. And she was, uh, as the coaches said anyway, uh, she was fine with the decision. It's better to let Maya go 
than me because I'm not I'm not as good as I want to be to do a relay and bring the gold home to Sweden. So the gap and, the gap will be uh, you know 45 seconds instead of uh, 30 seconds or other way around. <laughs> I I mean relay is relay and I think would be really, really interesting. I don't think it's going to happen, but if Maya and Annie Kerstekalvo, uh, the Norwegian, uh, goes out, out, out on the, in the same time there, Kalvo's uh, going to try to get rid of Maya because Maya going to beat her in the, in the finish. Uh, otherwise, uh, I'd like to see that. That would be nerve-wracking uh, to see it. Uh, but I think that Frida and Eva are going to bring home the gold all all at stage two and three so i don't think it's going to happen but uh feels a bit more interesting now without sundling in top shape than it would have been a closed call already now it's a bit more interesting but uh, as devon say they shall win the gold anyway well uh what was whatever you the whatever the thing you bet you were gonna bet your house on i was gonna say i'm i might be willing to take that bet i forget what it was but uh you know i do have a house but it's an anchorage we'd have to trade jobs you'd have to write about uh you know donald trump or something and nobody wants that so um well uh thomas Pedersen from express and thank you uh thank you so much for joining us that was uh that was a great conversation and uh privilege to have you uh have you on Thank you. I'm going to run to the medal plaza. In, in two minutes, the Swedish girl are going to get a medal, so, but I'm living 50 meters away, so it's, I'm going to make it. Well, Jesse Diggins Perfect. is winning a Thanks gold. So, much. so yeah, yeah, I, sure. I've, I've got to go too, and it's a lot further than 50 meters for me. So uh, yeah. we'll Thanks see. a lot, guys, and uh, thanks, Thomas. Always great to see you, and uh, keep writing great articles, and even the little controversial articles once in a while when Canadian shits like me do something bad. It's good to get called out, and uh, we got to keep it exciting. No, but we really appreciate you joining us, and let's enjoy the last part of World Championships in parting. Claybo's going to win the 50K, Thomas. We should do a little side bet on uh, off-air about what uh, sending a toque or something, but uh, it'll be fun to watch. Some great races left. Have a good evening, guys. Yeah, see ya. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.